pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Shag is off this week, but we have an able, more than able, fill-in host, Ryan Daly. Hello, Ryan. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. I'm very excited to have you here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Brave and the Bold, Volume 2, Number 32, the most recent iteration of that title from 2010, which features a team-up of Aquaman and the Demon. This is a very exciting story, and Ryan has uh, a very good reason why he's been giving me grief about why we haven't covered this book to this point. <laughs> but before we get to that, let's thank our sponsor, which is, of course, In Stock Trades. This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 40%, 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Ryan, what do you got? Yeah, I, I went pretty easy and uh, decided to pick up the trade paperback that collects the story we're actually talking about on this episode, and that is Team-Ups of the Brave and the Bold, and it collects seven out of the nine issues that were written by J. Michael Straczynski of the Brave and the Bold, uh, and and like in rather than go through like the in stock trade summary, I'll just hit you with the issues that appear in this. What are the team up combos? Batman and Dial H for Hero, The Flash and the Blackhawks, which is an awesome story. That Talks is. about you know questioning what is the nature of heroism in wartime. Uh, we got a team up of Batman and Brother Power the Geek. You heard that right. Um, there's an issue with Dr. Fate and Green Lantern, which questions fate versus free will. The Atom and the Joker. And, of course, the story that we're talking about, Aquaman and the Demon. There's only one story that could possibly be better than that combination, and it is the last story in the group, which is Wonder Woman, Zatanna, and Batgirl. It's an amazing story. I'm sure if Shag read it, it made him cry. The art on six of these issues is by the art on six of these issues is by Jesus Saez. Uh, the last story, the all girls one, is by Cliff Chang. It is beautiful. The list price for this book is seventeen dollars and ninety nine cents. 
The in-stock trades price right now is $10.43. That is a 42% discount. Uh, that is for the paperback version. You can also get the hardcover for about $4 more. It's a great-looking book. You should get it. Yeah, those were a really good run of stories. I bought mm-hmm. the Brave and the Bold every month as it came out, which is pretty rare for me, even as far back as 2010. But, yeah, those are some really solid team-ups. And that Wonder Woman, Batgirl, Zatanna story is terrific. That yeah, was yeah. Really, really terrific. <laughs> so uh, my pick is going to be – this is a book I've, I've – picked out many many times before but who cares second the swamp thing book two hardcover that is the the run by alan moore and the artists are sean mcmanus steve bestead john toddleben and ron randall the cover art is by steve bestead and john toddleben and this reprint saga, the Swamp Thing, numbers 28 through 34, and Swamp Thing Annual number 2. And the reason I'm picking this is because some of these issues feature a guest appearance by the demon. Uh, the Alan Moore had a really particularly uh, inventive, as usual for him, take on Etrigan. And I really like these stories where Swamp Thing interacts with all the mystical characters from the DCU. So these are really great stories. The uh, page count is 224. Normal price is 24.99. In stock trades price is $14.49. You can't beat it. It's Alan Moore Swamp Thing. Not a controversial pick at all. So these and other uh, deals. Oh, yes. I was going to say, I, th- I think we're doing it backwards. It really should be me shilling for the Swamp Thing and Supernatural characters book. Uh, oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. We we have to, we should coordinate these things before we start recording. <laughs> but, oh, well. Uh, <laughs> so for these and all the other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com. And we thank them for their support. So, yes, the book we're here to talk about is Brave and the Bold, number 32. The writer is J. Michael Straczynski. The art is by, as Ryan mentioned, Jesus Saiz. Is that how you say it? You said Saiz? I've heard, I've heard Greg Rucka pronounce it Jesus Saez, and he's worked with him. So that's, that's the only time I think I've ever heard it out loud. So that was how I've always said it. That sounds good to me. Okay, so mm-hmm. Jesus Saiz. So the story in question is Night Gods. Uh, before we get to the story, Ryan, what did you think of the cover for this issue? Oh, loved it. I mean, it's it's beautiful. Like all the covers from this run were really, really good. But just the color is—it sort of looks washed out, like it's underwater. But you still get the colors of the main heroes in the foreground popping. You know, the oranges, the greens, uh, the the reds and blues of the demon, and everything. And uh, I remember, like when I first heard this this issue was solicited, and I think I was probably—I'll jump a little bit ahead, but like as soon as this issue came out, I think I went right to the Aquaman shrine to see your review of it and synopsis because I think I read your synopsis before I was able to read the comic for some reason or another. <laughs> um, but yeah, like this was this was at a time when you weren't seeing the classic Aquaman in comics. Exactly. Like, like even I mean I think he had been dead at that point, but even before then you couldn't find like one that looked like Aquaman. And this was like my first time seeing it. I was like, yes, we're finally getting the Aquaman that I grew up with, the Aquaman that I like. And so, yeah, yeah just seeing him like that is, is really exciting. Um, the demon looks great. It's a really sort of pronounced jaw and muzzle, sort of uh, like just a flat sort of Jack Kirby face. Well, not so much Jack Kirby, but just a flattened face. Um, but yeah, just the, the look of the architecture and everything from behind. It's eerie, it's spooky, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, I think it's terrific, and I agree. The uh, all the background elements, like the the weird mm-hmm. rock formations, it's all washed out. And Aquaman and the Demon are in the foreground, and they are un- totally 100% saturated with the colors. So it has an almost like color forms kind of feel mm-hmm. to it. Like you you place the Aquaman and Demon figures <laughs> over the background. The only minor quibble I have with this cover at all, and this is such a nitpick, is Aquaman's logo is white. 
That's the only thing I don't like. It's such a the, they use the classic demon logo, which is what to me one of the great comic book logos of all time, the demon, and and they use the classic Aquaman logo, except it's white. It could have been any other color, like a yellow or green or blue, but it, the white just washes it out a little. That's the only tiny nitpick I have about it. I didn't see it until you said it, and now. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Uh, you're welcome. You're, uh, <laughs> as usual, in life and in podcasting, I ruin things for people. So, yeah, but anyway, this is a real, a real terrific cover. And so the uh, all the uh, architecture is real creepy looking because it doesn't look like architecture. It looks like something that came out of The Thing from John Carpenter's mm-hmm. The Thing. That's sort of, you know, half alive, half stone kind of thing. It's really, really creepy. So, yeah, it's a cool cover. And I, I, I do like the um, physicality of the demon. He looks like he's he's very squat. He has that kind of bull neck, so he kind mm-hmm. of plainly has a lot of mobility necessarily. He's kind of, you know, he's a hunched over kind of guy. So, and Aquaman looks very regal. And, and yeah, we'll get into the whole bit about the, the big deal I made about this issue at the time. Because, yeah, this was the first, kind of the return of the classic Aquaman for a couple of years. But we'll get to that after the story. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, the story in question is called Night Gods. And it opens with a couple of cops getting the drop on a guy in the middle of digging up a coffin. They tell the guy to stop, but he protests that he has to know what's inside. The cops ask him who he is, and he tells them his name is Whitford Crane. He used to work on a fishing boat, and a few days ago, a massive storm hit, capsizing it. Managing to survive, he found himself on a small island. Waiting on the beach for him are Aquaman and the Demon. That's a, that's a, you never hear that much, Aquaman and the Demon doing anything together. <laughs> uh, they find out what happened, and they begin to talk of some mysterious event that is about to happen. The demon grabs Whitford, using his magic powers to give the man a set of gills. Then all three of them head into the ocean, diving deep, deep into the water, where Whitford spies creatures he has never seen before. Uh, when they get to a ridge underwater, Aquaman asks Whitford to be quiet, lest they be heard. Whitford asks Aquaman who he is talking about, and he learns that years ago, Aquaman and the demon made a pact to keep something, quote, on the other side, lest, quote, the land world and the sea world would both be destroyed. Whitford gets to see what Aquaman is talking about, a veritable army of demons, some humanoid, some not, all of them marching from to what looks like to Whitford, like the front gates of hell. Aquaman calmly states, this is bad. It seems that this other side has called upon the souls of all those who have died at sea to be part of its army. Aquaman says he has to get down there in the center of the invasion, but has to do it undetected. He needs something to hide behind. He could use a shark or a a porpoise, but, quote, even they won't come near this place. So he turns his attention toward one of the nearby monsters. He sort of puts the monster in a bit of a headlock and uses his uh, mind control to take over the creature. Aquaman now, control of the beast, heads straight into the army of the creatures. He makes his way into a pit in the ocean floor. Surrounded by thousands of other creatures, he sees a creature out of everyone's nightmare, some sort of monster creature mending tentacles springing out of a hole in the floor. Momentarily distracted, Aquaman is noticed by some of the other creatures, and they close in on him. Aquaman fights some of them off, pounding one of them into a stone wall. This catches the attention of the others, and they swarm in the Sea King's direction. Whitford, watching all this, asks the demon if he shouldn't be helping. But the demon says Aquaman does not need his help. Indeed, we see Aquaman call in his reinforcements, coming from lots of miles in every direction. And we get a full-page shot of literally thousands of sea creatures coming to Aquaman's defense. Some of the creatures split off and go after the demon and Whitford, but Etrigan reduces most of them to ashes with his fire breath. One of them grabs Whitford, and it's someone he knows, his old friend and shipmate Philip, lost at sea five years ago. 
Philip begs Whitford to destroy him so he can finally be at peace, but the demon tears Whitford away. Aquaman summons them both as the largest creature, the leader of this unholy army, emerges from the pit. It offers to make a deal with Aquaman. If he joins them, he will be king of the entire world above. Aquaman rejects the offer, saying, why would I ever wish to settle for less? And the demon conjures a spell that sets the creature on fire, causing it to explode and collapse. As they watch it burn and die, Aquaman talks to the demon, and he realizes that they have someone watching them, and they turn back towards Whitford. The next thing Whitford knew, he wakes up. He woke up on the shore. He's now determined to look inside the coffin of his friend Philip to see if this was all a dream or not. After breaking through the lid, he sees the proof he was looking for, his St. Christopher medal, torn from the neck by Philip's undead corpse under the sea. And the story, as Philip realizes, Whitford realizes that it was all true, the story ends with him saying, they stand, at, regarding Aquaman and the demon, they stand at the door in secret, making sure no one gets through, standing alone against all the powers of the elder gods, fire and water, fire and water. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> so, <laughs> to pull back the curtain a little bit, guys, uh, last week when I was talking about it, I realized that Chag needed the week off, and I was looking to see who could fill in, and Ryan said, he wants to talk about Brave and the Bold number 32. And of course, I was like, oh, that's a great story, I'd be willing to. And he said, I'm going to give you a bunch of grief for not covering this story before. And I was like, why is he giving, why, why would I get grief about not covering the story? And then I reread it, completely forgetting how this story ends <laughs> in the final three words. So, yes, go ahead, give me some grief for not getting to this story sooner, Ryan. Well, uh, first of all, like I was, I, I, most of the grief was going to be based on the original position that this is a great Aquaman story, um, and it was coming out like a little bit before you started the shrine. But I thought it was recent enough that it would have been fresh in your memory enough that you would have gotten to it at some point earlier in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, part of it was the combination of the fire and the water. I was like, how have they never talked about this before? And I was like, it's kind of like weird. Like, why am I on this episode? Like, why isn't Shag here for this one? But, you know, forget him. So Exactly, exactly. Well, yeah. we have to we have to change the show over to an Aquaman and Demon podcast. You just forget about Firestorm. Just an Aquaman and Demon. Uh, so, yeah, so what do you, I mean, what do you think of this one? Obviously, I'm sure you think it's pretty great. I do love this one. And again, like I said, like this one hit me at exactly the right time when I wanted to see a classic Aquaman story and the art was giving me that. But it was also at a time where I, I felt like Straczynski wrote this one for me or with me in mind, like where my mind was, because almost sort of uh, – Concurrent with me discovering the story, I had sort of been on an H.P. Lovecraft bender ah, or binge, yes. and this story is an H.P. Lovecraft story. Like he has overt and direct, like explicit callouts to the guy. Like for one thing, like at the very beginning of the story, we find this guy Whitmore Crane digging up a body. Where is he digging up the body? Um, it's in Howard Cemetery. Howard is the the H in H.P. Lovecraft is for Howard. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and uh, the main character, the narrator Crane, his his uh, best friend that he keeps referring to, is his friend who died in the water named Philip. Philip. Philip is the P in H.P. Lovecraft. Ah, okay. So, so right there on the page two, we get these back-to-back things. It's like, okay. It's also a story where we start off with a narrator of questionable sanity 
basically trying to prove that some horribly dreadful monstrous thing happened with some sort of like token artifact that can prove his sanity and everything it's like structurally it's just like an hp lovecraft story um and also like of all of all of lovecraft stories like one of my favorites is a story called the shadow over innsmouth which is about this kind of rundown fishing community fishing village where you see that the people are sort of descendants from this like kind of mutant fish race of people where they all look slightly <laughs> fish like and everything and i was like and the way he described the story i was like oh my god this is so weird and and the possibility that there are these like kind of man fish like the trench and the jeff johns thing like they're they all descended from this type of thing so again reading the story i was like he totally he's reading straczynski read the shadow over insmith and he's like i'm gonna make an aquaman story with this and i was like yes exactly that's what i would do if i was writing an aquaman story i would base it on that so he just again like when i read the story i was like this is everything that i love about lovecraft and aquaman hitting me at the same time so yeah i'm i was delighted smiling ear to ear when i read this story yeah i've only read a little bit of, of lovecraft <laughs> uh i mean i've seen more probably more movies that are adaptations <laughs> of his work but I mean, there's so much of that stuff but one of the the, the lovecrafty things i got from it was sort of the of when this takes place mm. it seems to take place at like four in the morning Yes. Uh, when when Whitford meets Aquaman and the Demon, the sun is just either going down or coming up. I get the sense it's maybe just going down. And so I like the idea that this adventure is taking place in the middle of the night mm-hmm. while sort of the rest of the DCU is asleep. Well, not bad. Yeah. He's not asleep, but everybody else is asleep. And Aquaman and the Demon are kind of off on this case way in some tiny little corner of the universe that nobody ever visits. And, you know, the whole adventure is wrapped up just as everybody else is getting up in the morning. That, that's the sort of read I got from it. And that's, that's one of the things I liked about it is that and, – and that was an angle that um, Aquaman hasn't always been sort of associated with is that kind of like magical, nasty, demon-fighty guy thing that he mm-hmm. likes to do. You know what I mean? I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly as big a fan as anybody as Black Man or an Ocean Master. But he's a natural fit for H.P. Lovecraft-type stories. Absolutely, absolutely, and like again, like coming going back to that old cliche of there's so much that we don't know about the ocean and about like the depths of our own world. It's like yeah, like put him up against some weird, like dis, like almost alien like stuff, like creatures that we would come out of the darkest depths, and have him be, have him like be the defender of the ocean, you know, like protecting us on the surface from what's down below. Yeah, I, I think that's just an incredible hook for him. You don't want to overplay it, but I think it's it's just it's it's something that you can go back to pretty consistently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and then Aquaman is just one of those guys, and it's something. I mean, it's it's a similar character trait that he has with Batman is that I think in a lot of ways he's sort of unflappable, mm-hmm. and that he is. And and I said you're mentioning about like the the vastness of the ocean. Like he's seen stuff. That if you showed to Wonder Woman or Superman or Green Lantern, they'd be like, oh my, like, what? You know, what is that? But Aquaman's like, yeah, that's yeah, Tuesday. You know, yeah, it's another creature that's coming out of some portal. I mean, the opening page, um, not the opening page, but page eight, which is the full page where they see the, 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 the yeah. army of the corpses. I mean, that's total nightmare fuel, you know? Yes. I mean, it's just all these de- – and it reminds me, you know, a little bit about the kind of stuff we saw from Alan Moore, as I just mentioned, and, and mm-hmm. his run in Swamp Thing, where it's like the, all the architecture look like it's made out of partly bone and some flesh and 
de- you know, decaying parts and all that other kind of stuff. I mean, it has that just sickly, nasty-looking thing. And Aquaman's just like, yeah, we got to deal with this. And I, I love that the sort of badass move that he pulls where he's like, look, I need to camouflage myself to go into this pit. And so I'm just going to grab one of these guys and just force him and just take over his brain. And that panel of him where he's literally got his hand in the mouth yeah. of the creature, even though this creature has like 50 teeth, sharp pointy <laughs> teeth, Aquaman's just like submit, 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 submit. submit. And yes. then, then you get to this close-up of the demon and the, the – not the demon, not Etrigan, but right. the, this monster. And he has that wide-eyed stare. He's just like, uh, okay, Aquaman. <laughs> I got, it's like that's, that's total badassery. And that's, you know, that's part of, like, the badass is that, you know, he, he doesn't, uh, like, I, I think, like, real badass is just being super good and super competent at your job. And throughout this mission, which is insane, like, anybody who witnessed this would rightly lose their mind and go insane and never recover from witnessing what they're doing. And Aquaman and the demon are just, like, still, like, yeah, this we do this every year. This is an annual thing for us. They never panic. They never think about calling back up, like, hey, you know, it might it might be useful to have, like, Superman swim down and punch this thing back into the depths. It's like, no, it never crosses their mind. They've got this. This is their job. This is what they do. And and it's just like, yeah, that's showing just, like, the, the competency and the, the degree of just sort of... I I'm good at this. I'm really good at this. This is why I do what I do. And it's, it's great. This is, again, this is how you write a great Aquaman story and a great version of Aquaman. Since we're just talking about like, you know, panels that kind of show that, um, I guess it's page 12. It's the page right after the splash of the elder God coming through or the night God, whatever. Um, the page after that there, it's the third panel. It's after basically Aquaman's cover has been blown and these little like deep one monsters are attacking him. He has this move where it looks like he sort of creates this like funnel, this almost like little yeah. mini whirlpool that's kind of like blowing them away. And I look at that and I was like, he's not controlling the water like Mira does. It looks like he's swimming so fast that he creates this little vortex, this little like put funnel of water that's pushing them away. It's like that's awesome, and again, like a version of his powers that you wouldn't necessarily think about, but it's true to the character. It's not adding anything new to the character like a retcon. It's just showing you something about him that you wouldn't have necessarily thought of. And it's sort of like it reminded me of um, in the the Jeff Johns run again. The I think it was during the others storyline when he dives out of like a C-130 airplane. Um, and Aquaman hits the water, and you see him swimming faster than the plane is flying. <laughs> and it's like, wow. But, yeah. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. Yeah, there was this great little moment here. And, I mean, uh, I, uh, I made a huge deal about this book at the time, like I said, back in 2010, because, as, as Ryan mentioned earlier, Aquaman had been dead in mm-hmm. the DCU uh, for a couple of years at this point. Sort of Atlantis had been canceled, and even when he was in Sort of Atlantis, he was the big fish guy yeah. thing. So, I mean, there this was the first time uh, classic Aquaman had been back in the DCU, and I really made a lot of hay about it. I did a countdown, and I did an interview with J. Michael Straczynski. He was nice enough to talk to me about this one single story. And I, I sort of hit on that about... You know, that this story, as much as I like Brave and the Bold stories to be 50-50, this is really mostly an Aquaman story with Demon as kind of the, a backup. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, Aquaman really is probably 75% of the story. And I, I sort of said to, to JMS, 
you know, was that sort of intentional to kind of really give Aquaman all the great moments? And he said, yeah, kind of. He really wanted to, he wanted to write the classic Aquaman and he wanted to kind of make it a big deal. He wasn't, he liked Aquaman. He likes the character. He wasn't like a particularly huge fan, but he wanted to give the character lots of great moments because he, he was cognizant of the fact that he was writing a version of the character that hadn't been seen in the DCU mm-hmm. for at least a couple of years. And, you know, page 16 is that giant full-page splash that uh, <laughs> Jesus Saiz must have taken forever to draw of Aquaman with all of the sea life. I mean, just literally thousands of fish flying in all directions. And Aquaman you, is just standing there with his hands just like, yeah, boys, I have at him. You cannot see the water in the page. Like, yeah. you can't see the water. It, it's like they're complete. It's, it's completely blacked out by the bodies of the ocean life and him just standing there prideful, just looking like sick em, boys, just go to town. Um, and it's preceded before that when the, the narrator is sort of telling the story and he's like, um, like I said, he could control every creature that lives in the sea, but I don't think either of you really know what that means. Do you know? Do you understand? Do you have any idea how much life there is in just one single square mile of sea? And, like, yeah, that, that when you comprehend that, when you try to comprehend that, it's like, who shortchanges Aquaman? And whoever does so is just lacks imagination. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, on page 18, there's just a panel that has, doesn't have any dialogue where he's sicking all the uh, various sea level people. And there's just this one zombie about to be eaten by a shark. And it's just like, you just look at that shark with the size of its mouth, and it's like that shark could is probably going to swallow that zombie whole. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just going to, and he's like, you know, imagine if there was somebody that could control sharks. You would really want that person on your side because that's really terrifying. I mean, just to have sharks be able to eat zombies or being able to eat anybody is really terrifying. And the fact that, and it's, it's throughout the story. There's lots of little bits in the background. There's a, on page 20, there's a one point where Aquaman is talking to uh, the guy and you just see another zombie tearing through some, uh, another shark tearing through some zombies in the background. Like it's all just, the sharks are just having a good old time. Cause they're just like, Hey, I can, I can eat willy nilly. I don't have to worry about eating people. I'm going to Aquaman getting mad at me. I can eat these zombies. This is great stuff. Yeah, so good. Um, And then, and one thing that we haven't really mentioned because we've been Aquaman focused, but Straczynski does a great job of writing for the demon because the demon can be hard to write for because of the basic nature of the meter in his speech, the the sort of rhyme scheme. A lot of people try it, and a lot of people stumble on it. Some people don't try it. They just say, you know, this is too hard, or it's I can't make it fit the story. Um, But Straczynski does it really, really well. Yeah, I, I, I've always kind of liked the demon. I think I don't know if he works necessarily as like a main guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've tried to read the Jack Kirby demons. I want to like them, but I find them kind of impenetrable. They're, they're just so strange that I, I, you know, like I read them and I go, oh, I, oh, I should like this more than I do. And then I'll like, go back to them like, I don't know. I think the last time I read them was like 10 years ago and I, they just – I'm, I can't get my head around them, <laughs> you know. That's that's but, how I felt about the Matt. But I like the, the Matt, character yeah. so much that I, I want to keep giving it a try. And that's how I felt about the Matt Wagner right, miniseries right. that came out in the '80s. Like I I got that trade paperback recently, and I was really excited. And I read it. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> it was just. I wish this was a lot better. And yeah, that's that's. Yeah, that's too bad because I I'm I'm right there with you. I I really want to like the character. But it's not necessarily based on what I've actually read of him. 
Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, and there's the big omnibus edition, and sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, maybe I should spring for that and just really kind of go whole hog. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. I, 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 I don't, he may be somebody that's just better as a, as a side guy. He's just not yeah. a lead guy. But I said, I like this. I like that these two are kind of buddies. I love that whole idea. I like that they get together every year, like it's a, some sort of weird HP Lovecraft <laughs> version of same time next year. I just exactly. like all that whole thing. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's a really terrific. And you know, in, in in a time when we're all kind of like we're all a bunch of old farts and we're complaining about you know stories are so elongated, this is one and done. You get mm-hmm. your whole story right here. We don't need to do it anymore. We this is you know it, it tells a complete tale, which is terrific. It does, yeah. Yeah, it's a really, really good story. And, and as Ryan pointed out, it ends with fire and water. It literally ends <laughs> with the words fire and water. So, yes, we've been quite negligent not covering it to this point. We really should have gotten to it before now because it's really, really terrific. So, uh, unfortunately, it did not spark any big return to Aquaman, sort of. I mean, he basically laid fallow again for a little while, and he was only appearing in DC Super Friends. But then, of course... Uh, New 52 was only a year or so away. So this was nice, a nice little stopgap. I wish we could have done more. I wish Brave and the Bold had, had used Aquaman a little more. But uh, as we pointed out over the um, In Stock Trades ad, the, the, the stories in this series are really terrific. I was really mm-hmm. ashamed that uh, – really sorry that this series got canceled, like I think around 35 or 36. Yeah, there was actually there were just uh, well, well the the one after this was issue thirty three, which was the the big Wonder Woman, Zatanna, and Batgirl issue. Then there were just two issues after that, and they haven't been collected. But it was uh, the Legion of Superheroes teaming up with the Doom Patrol, and then there was a second story, a second part to it, which was sort of a flipped version, starring the Inferior Five and the Legion of Substitute Heroes. Oh wow! Um, and if you want to hear more about that, listeners, uh, I actually guest appeared on Waiting for Doom, the Doom Patrol podcast, uh, a couple months ago, and you can hear me talk about those two stories with Paul and Mike on that show, and it was crazy story, a lot of fun, silly, but yeah, but really good, but yeah, if you get the trade paperback that I recommended, great stories, like, I, I, I really like the Dr. Fate Green Lantern one, brings up a lot of questions about fate and free will, as I said, the Flash and Blackhawks one is great, um, yeah, good stuff. I have to want to. I I want to cover that Flesh and Blackhawk one on FW Presents because that mm. Blackhawk one is terrific. That is a really really good story. Yeah, and just it it does pose kind of an interesting question. It's like, well, what do you consider consider a hero in World War Two? Well, the heroes that we consider were people who killed, and does that kind of question hold up for the the superheroes that you know that have powers and we hold them to a different standard a different criteria and yeah it, it, just great writing great writing good so. series good series i mean pick up ryan's uh, suggestion of insect trades that big brave and bold yeah. collection it's really good stuff so uh, i think that's going to do it for this issue brave and the bold number 32 ryan thank you so much for wanting to cover this one this was this was terrific this is absolutely worth revisiting because it's a wonderful story I agree. Thank you for having me on the show. Where can people find you here on our network? Well, I actually prepared something because I knew you would question. (laughs) If more my thoughts you wish to hear, there are many shows on which I appear. Secret Origins lives on in the past, but today you'll hear me on Batman Nightcast, talking about Star Wars and Fishnet Power and every midnight the podcasting hour. Those shows you can find on this very network, unless you find me an insufferable jerk. <laughs> I'm not going to plug any of my shows because I want the show to end with that. That's just 
That's, that was that was beautiful. Thank you, sir. So, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you guys next week. Until then, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even towards their hair. They stand for truth and justice and see a land in there. Aquaman and Firestorm, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah. You're free now, Etrigan. What will you do? When will you foolish mortals learn a demon's fates? Not your concern! Oh, he's a charmer, that one. <laughs>